Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. There's no crying in baseball. And Larry Korea. I know now why you cry. Today's episode, Once More with Feeling, with Casey Azell. Welcome everybody back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you all back with us. Uh, in our series of interviews of people that we've, you know, black bagged and abducted into, into a, an undisclosed hotel room at LibertyCon, uh, our most recent victim is Casey Azell. Uh, today, uh, we're, we're super excited to have Casey on. Um, I was just on her show, well, depending on when this airs, it could be several months ago. I don't even know anymore. But, uh, you know, Casey and I, that was the first time we'd actually even talked to each other. Um, oh, cool. I didn't and we're, know that. Yeah, you know, and, and we hit it off really, really quickly. We had emailed. Well, I mean, yeah. we've done that. Yeah, but yeah. But no, like, actual physical, like, oh, no. so that's what you look like. Yeah, no, I had no idea what you looked like. Um, and, uh, and, of course, a lot of you know Casey Azell because of the, uh, the anthologies that she's edited with Larry. Yeah, so I, I met Casey several years ago, and... Um, I, I met her some cons, and Casey had this wild idea that she was going to approach me to do some noir anthologies, and uh, and she's told this story many times, and she tells it better than I do. But she she basically made the pitch to me because she knew I loved noir because of grim noir and the hard magic, and 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 she wanted to do uh, an anthology series of that. So she kind of kind of quartered me on a panel. Actually, she suggested the panel. Yeah, I had a whole campaign about me, and then and then suggested <laughs> I be the guest on the panel. Yep. Premeditation. Yeah, it was premeditation. Yeah. I dressed up in everything. Oh, I nice. bought backs and yeah, stockings. Yeah, and so she was in costume. The panel. Yes. Yeah. So it was all very cleverly laid out. Was that Dragon Con we did that? That was, was that? Liberty. Oh, Con. it was Liberty Con. Was here. That was when we were over in the choo choo. Yeah, and so if you're gonna make a pitch to me, and people make pitches to me all day, okay, that was a good pitch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, all so right. we've done three of those together. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Casey Azell, it's time for you to take your moment, uh, introduce yourself to the crowd, uh, tell us what you do, where you come from, some of your, your background, because you have you, you do some awesome stuff. You've done some awesome stuff. You still do awesome stuff. Thank you. And then, um, yeah, talk about some of your books, pitch them, and then we'll, we'll get into the topic today, which I think people are going to be pretty interested to hear about. Awesome. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, hi, writer dojo students. Uh, I'm Casey Ezel, and uh, I'm super excited to have been abducted by the black bag yes. here for for uh, this interview. Um, so, my background. Let's see. Um, I uh, I so I was a military brat, and I was a very very smart little girl. Very smart little girl. Annoyingly smart little girl who would not leave my mother alone because I needed like constant mental stimulation. So she, she taught me to read very early because she was like, oh my God, give this kid something to do. And, um, and that was great, except that I would now bother her for books, right? <laughs> so when I was about seven years old, I was bothering her for books, as one does. And um, my, mom is, my mom is great, by the way. She's, I've met your mom. Your mom is also an she, overachiever. Yes, yes. She's, she's pretty amazing. Um, but she, uh, we were living in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time. I was in like second grade. And I was like, Mom, I'm bored. I need something to read. And she was like, fine, take this. It's for kids. And she shoved a copy of Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Drums into my hands. Um, and I was like, okay. And I read it and I fell in love. I fell in love with Pern. I fell in love with the fire lizards and I really fell in love with the dragons. And so I bugged her again until she bought me all the rest of the books in the series. <laughs> and, um, 
And when I finished reading the series, I knew that my purpose in life was to become a dragon rider, mm. which is right. super hard on Earth. So well, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> you did actually do the next closest step. I got fairly close. Yeah. Yeah. So by that time, after I'd finished reading the whole series and everything, we were at this. By this time, we were living in the Philippines. Um, and um, shortly after that, a couple months or a year, I don't know, uh, my dad took me to an air show, and I saw the demo teams performing, and it was like a light bulb went off. I was like. Oh, snap. Okay. That's pretty damn close to a dragon. <laughs> All right, I'm in. So, so at nine, I decided I was going to um, uh, join the Air Force, go to the Air Force Academy, and, and become a pilot. At and, nine? At nine, yes. I was very focused on this dragon rider thing. Nice. Yes. So, uh, so that's what I did. Um, I, I do not fly um, demo team fighter jet or anything like that um, because as an adult I realized that helicopters are infinitely cooler and um, it's just a slower moving dragon yeah well yeah but it's so here's the thing though Steve like if you could do you know 400 knots at 50,000 feet or 100 knots at 50 feet mm. which one do you think feels faster <laughs> bottom one yeah, yeah 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 you're right yeah so anyway um so yes, so I became a helicopter pilot, um, and I served uh, 23 years in the Air Force, uh, flying UH-1N uh, November model Hueys. Um, lived at you know m- many different places, including Japan, uh, which was my last assignment. And last summer, I retired uh, from the Air Force and moved with my family back to the Richmond, Virginia area. And now that we're there, um, my day job is that I fly uh, EMS helicopters. So. Um, for it, for you helicopter geeks out there, um, I fly EC-130s, which in this case, for you military geeks out there, the, the EC stands for Eurocopter, not Electronic Warfare C-130. So just just to make that clear. <laughs> um, which actually with our audience, it, that was the problem, that was necessary. Yeah, no, yes. right. I felt yeah. like that was the good yeah. call. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's that's my like aviation career, right? Um, but I also have a writing career, uh, thanks in large part to Larry. Thank you so much, sir. And I'm happy um, to help. <laughs> And um, uh, I started writing professionally in um, 2010, uh, thanks to another co-author of yours, John Ringo, actually, um, was my first sort of uh, mentor in the business, brought me in, um, um, published a a short story of mine in the Citizens Anthology. I actually wrote that story while I was deployed, um, which was kind of fun. It was a... For... your audience members who've def- who've deployed will get this. Like you kind of hoard things to do while you're deployed, especially if you're on a long deployment, because mm. you know you work, and then you sleep, and you work out, and you eat. But that there's nothing really else to do, right? So you work out, you know. I, I knew a guy who became the greatest uh, guitar hero player in Iraq. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, um, my my friend Bob Post taught himself how to make those like. Um, uh, paracord bracelets and he just started making paracord bracelets for everyone like everyone that he knew because he, he was like oh my girl's like this he has he had uh, two do- still has two daughters um and yeah he started making he was like he just amassed all these paracord bracelets and just gave them away to everybody yeah you hoard things to do because you know you're bored right so i started writing um and uh and now i write professionally so um it's probably not a shock to anyone that my first published novel, um, 
solo novel was a uh, my love letter to military aviation and military aviation history. It's a book called Minds of Men. Um, it is my first book, and I think every author kind of feels this way about their first book. Where it's like, yes, I'm really, really proud of it. Also, I'm so much better now. We've talked on the show, this is one of the only career fields where you get judged for your entire career based upon your rookie year. Yes. <laughs> they don't do that in sports. It's not fair, right? But they do it to us. Yes, yeah. Um, but, but it is a good book, and I'm very proud of it. And I was very, I was very um, fortunate to have really good editors and stuff, um, uh, lots of good uh, direction to kind of help me clean it up. But it's, um, it is a story about um, psychic women in World War II mm-hmm. in 1943 flying on B-17 bombers. So it's kind of like, a, like an alternate history or a secret, secret history with a little touch of fantasy. Um, yeah, not quite as much fantasy as your, your trench warfare series yeah, yeah. Yeah, as Servants of War, but sure. just, just a little bit, just a touch. Well, and then you've done straight up sci-fi. With, and I have uh, done straight up sci-fi. With another recent guest of the show, Griffin Barber, you did Second Chance Angel. Yes, and that one's that was a sci-fi noir uh, adventure mystery that uh, that we did. And, that and you've was, done short stories in that universe for our anthologies. For our anthologies, <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, our second anthology, No Game for Nights, we talk a little bit about Muck's backstory. So Muck is the, the main character of Second Chance Angel. Um, and uh, we picked an episode from his backstory. Um, and he's such he's such a great character. And that anthology, No Game for Nights, our purpose was to um, to focus on the, the character archetype of like the, the gr- I call him the Grey Knight. I don't know if I invented that term. Probably not. I'm not that smart, but no, I'm kidding. I'm really smart, but um, <laughs> the <laughs> super humble too. Um, but the humblest. Yes, I'm ever. the humblest ever. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, it's this it's this idea of you know here's this guy who is he's gonna do the right thing. People are gonna get hurt in the process. Yep. He's willing to take that on because it's the right thing. Yep. You know, um, and and that causes damage, right? Mm-hmm. You don't come out of that. You don't be that way without gaining a few scars. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. this particular story is about the the acquiring of of some of those scars. Yeah. And then you did Gunpowder and Embers. I did. I worked with um, John Ringo and Chris Smith. Um, again, John Ringo is, is um, you know uh, a, a huge part of my early career. Very. Very grateful to him for the jump start. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I reviewed that. It was a fun book. And it was a fun book. I mean, you've had you've had uh, you've had like some really interesting projects, Casey, and it's going to be kind of fun because you come with like this honestly cool adventure background, right? I mean, I mean a little bit. Yeah, yeah flying helicopters. I mean, yeah. well, flying helicopters to me that's just kind of that's just kind of <laughs> wicked cool. And it's uh, freaking rad. Thank you. It's yeah. very fun. It is very fun. I highly recommend it as a way to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did accounting. <laughs> <laughs> well, money is fun too. Our jobs were slightly. You're safe. like you're like a hundred feet above the ground at a hundred or fifty feet above the ground, hundred knots. I'm like on the ground, going nowhere. <laughs> you probably make more money as an how, accountant than you can as a helicopter pilot. How fast can I pilot. push this chair down the yes. hallway? Okay, to be fair, the money is pretty good, and your odds of dying are fairly low usually. Uh, not non-existent, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got an interesting topic for us today, Casey. I do. Yeah. Um, I when I write. I I write books that I want to read, right? I think kind of we all do a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah, what well, we're enthusiastic about. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I really really love is when a story can be so immersive that it pulls me in and it actually makes me feel something, right? So that's 
that's what I try to do. That is always my goal. Um, and we have a we joke. So I I publish books with Bain, but I also publish books with Chris Kennedy Publishing. And and in the kind of Chris Kennedy fan community online that we have, there's a running joke that that I'm gonna punch you in the gut and make you cry. I'm not a large person. I'm not gonna literally punch you in the gut and make you cry. Probably. But, Dude, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> but uh, but I. Um, but if you read my stuff, I might make you cry. Um, because that is my goal, right? I want, I want to make you feel, I want to make you emote with my characters. I want to, to have you identify with them on such an in, instinctive, basic human level that you are feeling what they are feeling when they are dealing with whatever conflict it is that the story, mm-hmm. that the story consists of. Yeah, so, um, so I have some tricks for how I do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're all about nuts and bolts on okay. this show. Uh, and. and- and the, the writer toolbox. Yes. So, um, fun fact, uh, the United States Air Force, by which I mean the United States taxpayers, thank you all so much. I very much appreciate you paying my salary all these years, um, actually also paid for me to get a master's degree. My master's degree is in, I have a master's of fine arts and creative writing with a poetry emphasis. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. It's been very useful to the national defense. Um, but, but that being said, um, yes, I did. I got, I got my, my degree or my master's degree when I was in the Air Force. And it, it is. It's a creative writing degree and it was, it's in poetry. But surprisingly, super, super useful. Because here's, here's what I learned in, you know, amongst all the poems and, and critique and, you know, pretension, all of that. What it really boils down to is poetry differs from prose in a couple of ways. But my favorite way is that poetry engages the emotions of the audience as much by the sounds of the words. Okay. They're like audio sounds as and the rhythm you know the meter as it does the the actual like connotation of the or the or the denotation of the word the meaning of the word right so um one of my favorite examples of this who is a brilliant poet is dr seuss dr seuss wrote gibberish but you it makes you feel right it makes you feel because of the sounds that you use and that is a principle that you can use in writing, and I actually discovered this in, um, I, I didn't discover it, I didn't make this up, this, is, this has always been the way, but I first noticed it when I was reading um, romance novels, which I read voraciously because, you know, I like them. Um, <laughs> so uh, the really, really good romance novels that have um, really good romantic tension, a lot of times they'll use words with like lots of soft sibilant sounds, lots of S's and, and soft C's, because it's that sliding sort of sort of sensation, I guess, when you hear that word that makes people think of, I mean, not to get too graphic, but it makes people think of bare skin, right? Makes people think of tactile, you know, the tactile sensation of touching someone that you love. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and that's powerful, and that, that helps create that, that emotional tension in the context of a romance story. Well, you know, no, 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 that, that makes perfect sense. Um, I didn't know that. From the, from the opposite side of this, uh, same exact tool, right? I'm about to make everyone take a drink. Okay, so oh, in yeah, horror. yeah, tension and horror, absolutely. Horror, it's the same mm-hmm. thing, whereas in romance, you're talking about these soft sounds, 
mm-hmm. to to generate these these feelings of uh, of sensualness. Okay? Yes, yes, right? sensuality, absolutely. Uh, in horror, you use very similar techniques, but to often evoke the opposite emotion of right. disgust, right? Of um, these smells that that make you think of rot, right? Or like the, the word slough. Yes. Yeah. You know, right? It's such a powerful word in horror. Yeah. So the, these these concepts apply direct or fear. Yeah. You know, things like doom. Oh my god. Large like the, these are not technical words for this. This is just how they exist in my head, but like the sort of rounded, open, dark sort of sounds that have like the the guttural vowels in them. Dread. Dread. Yeah. It 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 makes you it resonates with you on an emotional level. Hard consonants. Dread. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and so that's super fascinating. Oh my gosh! Okay. Can we talk about swear words? Yes. Okay. The most popular swear word in America is the F word. Right. The F word is the perfect swear word because it starts with a sibilant F, the F, and then you have the guttural uh, right? Yeah. It's like it's like the sound of someone hitting you, literally hitting you in the stomach, and then it ends on that hard plosive K that just perfectly, perfectly is a a a expression of of anger or frustration or um you know pain it's well it it can be anything as demonstrated by the why yeah absolutely absolutely but that's that is literally the reason why that is the most um most cited favorite curse word in the united states holy crap guys this is also one of the oldest words in the english language (laughs) this is really cool i i i have never in my life thought of any of that yeah about the shape of words Mm -hmm. evoking Emotions well, well, I hadn't either. Like, like, sat down and thought about it. But I, I think, I think, when you, if you're sitting down and you're and you're reading and you're writing a lot of these these very uh, emotionally heavy driven uh, stories, mm-hmm. romance and mm-hmm. horror, which which are very much two sides of the same coin. Yeah, right? absolutely. And and I, and I think that for me, I was I, I've just been lucky. That I've been doing some of this on an instinctual level. Well, it's but intuitive. But now to hear it, yeah. now to hear you actually put it into words, makes a frick ton of sense to me. Yeah, we do it. We do it in, in on an intuitive level because we use language, and language affects the way that we perceive the world. So just by speaking English, you know, we we choose words, and we choose words for their effect, and. Even if we don't consciously say, okay, I know that by using, you know, uh, the word slough instead of, you know, the word um, peel, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this effect. Oh, it just very different, yeah. It just feels right. Yep. Sometimes things feel right. And so for new writers, well, any writer, really, when you're out there, sometimes there's that line you're like, this, this line is wrong. I don't know why it's wrong, but it's wrong. Look at your, look at your synonyms. Yeah. Some of your synonyms might make it, or near synonyms, might make it a little bit better. Mm. So okay, we gotta take a quick break, um, and, and I'm. It's gonna be very, very. Well, at least for us, anyway. It's gonna be very for you. It's gonna be all this the same length as always. But for us, it's gonna be very quick because I want to get back into this because, uh, as you can tell, both Casey and I started geeking out at each other for a second. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll be right back really fast. Hello, Rider Dojo. I'm attorney Jonathan Moore, the founder of Moore Legal Counsel. For a limited time, we're offering Rider Dojo listeners promotional-priced legal consultations. You work hard to create worlds your readers enjoy, but do you worry your intellectual property is vulnerable? 
Have stories of predatory publishers made contracts a cause for anxiety instead of excitement? Are you afraid the legal details in your next project are just glaringly wrong? Don't get worried. Get more legal counsel. We're a different kind of law firm, committed to helping you focus on the business of your success. Visit us at morelegalcounsel.com slash writerdojo to learn more. Once again, that's more with two O's, legalcounsel.com slash writerdojo. We handle legal. You focus on your success. Get more legal counsel for your project today. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, okay. So, we, uh, we, I feel like we had a, uh, a productive first session of our, of our show today. I uh, had some really good emotional breakthroughs. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I feel it's uh, I feel it's important for us to continue down this path, Casey. Okay. So, uh, so, so, you know, take us away in your uh, magical dragon helicopter of emotion. Okay. All right. So, so yes. So the sounds of words is is one thing that it, that I use, right? Um, but another thing is I I tend to write very character driven fiction and I right. and I really prefer to write very close point of view because I feel like it's more immersive. So the more I can get behind a character's eyes and experience things the way that the character does, um, the the more I'm going to be able to get my audience to feel that same way. So close point of view. You guys have had other guests on who talk about this and they do a much better job than I'm going to be able to do that. So um, so if you're interested in that, find those episodes. There you go. Um, but in addition to that, the other thing is that when actors portray emotion, you know, when actors are, are cry for a show or whatever, they can cry on command. Um, many times they say that the way that they do that is they actually call up the memory of that emotion for themselves. Emotions and memory are, are very closely tied together, um, is what I learned from uh, Dr. Rob Hampson. You know, one of, we all know him. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, great guy, great writer. Um, but he's also a research neuroscientist. So emotions and memory, if you have the memory of a, of a time when you felt a strong emotion as a technique, what I will do. And my husband is like, you're, you're crazy. Why, why do you do these things to yourself? Because he'll come in and I'll be writing and I'll be like, like almost doubled over in my seat with pain, you know, and, and tears streaming down my face. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. I'm just writing a scene. He's like, you're a nutbag. You know? <laughs> but he's oh, no. a method writer. Yeah. Yes. It is like method writing. Really? But no. Casey's husband's really cool. Too, he, so. he is. He is. And he would never call me a nutbag, but he, he means it. Um, so, but the thing is, is that he, uh, no, not he, I, what I do is by, by, recalling the memory of a time when I felt whatever emotion I'm trying to convey, I, I pull that up in myself and I feel the physical sensations of the emotion as it manifests in my body. Emotions manifest in our bodies, right? Sometimes to a degree that they cause chronic illness. You know, st stress is the leading cause of chronic illness. Um, I read that somewhere. I don't have a citation for you. I'm sorry, but... The internet. Yes, the internet says. Um, and we all know that the internet is never wrong. Never. It's canon. Um, once. <clears throat> however, um, so, you know, for example, um, when I, like right now, you know, we, we mentioned my husband and I'm thinking, I, I think about my husband who I haven't seen in a couple of days and I really like and, and I kind of miss him, you know. So in thinking about him, the physical sensation that it gives me is not quite butterflies in the stomach, but I can feel like almost like a lightness in not kind of behind my cheeks that makes me want to smile. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably sounding insane right now. But, but you can think about, 
I, I, I guarantee if, if each of you think about a time when you felt a strong emotion and really sort of like bring that up in your memory and kind of replay that in your head, you'll notice that you, your body does things. You feel things, right? When you're scared, um, one of the things I do when I'm, when I'm super stressed out is my shoulders climb up into my ears. So I feel like a tightness in my neck. And the reason I do that is because if my character is feeling those emotions, I can both convey those emotions to the reader without saying, oh, my character was sad or my character was stressed. I can just say, you know, um, Alice's shoulders were up near her ears and she felt a, a, a tension running down her spine, right? That's a, a method of showing, not telling. I don't have to tell you she's stressed. You know she's stressed because of the way that I've written it. And if I use the right words with the correct, correct sounds to convey that and the right rhythm of the sentences, uh, you know, w whether it's kind of long and flowy and, and beautiful and relaxing or short and choppy and somewhat shooting, you know, that, that makes a difference. And it, it helps create that immersive picture that draws the reader in, puts them behind the eyes of the character, and then when you and makes them feel what the character is feeling. This this reminds me a lot of how um, pretty much everybody knows I'm I'm very very music like music listening driven. Yeah, I, I adore listening to music yeah. and uh, different types of music. And, and of course, you know, you're impacted with music, not just by the words, but by the instrumentation behind it. But right. I think the same principle applies. It's and absolutely the same principle. And, and that's the, the lyricism behind the words. The way, again, going back to what we were talking about, the way that the words are constructed, the way that they're rhymed together or, or false rhymed together. Right. And then, uh, but the way that the lyrics are said, whether it's disturbed, very staccato. Right. Versus, um, I don't know, uh, say Camelot where where the the lead singer is is very operatic right or and also disturbed in the sound of silence it, it, yeah that yes. song as well yeah yeah because he he has the whole the whole range yes and, and it serves as a as a wonderful contrast within yes. their own their own library right so I, I think that it's super interesting because with those same concepts if you think about the way that those those lyrics are constructed mm -hmm. they make you feel very specific emotions right. And this is often what I talk about because everyone knows I listen to music when I write. Mm -hmm. I have to. Mm -hmm. And the music has to fit the story that I'm writing. Yes. Because if I start listening to something that, for some reason, puts me in a cyberpunk mindset, yeah. I have to turn that off. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll mess me up because yeah. it's making me feel the wrong emotions. Yes. Yes, that's exactly, I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. I'm exactly the same way. And it is, it's... Did we just become best friends? <laughs> we have so much room for activities oh right goodness. now. <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. And it is, it's the meter, right? It's the meter of the, of the lyrics. It's the meter of your sentences. Um, it's um, the, just the rhythm, the rhythm of the whole thing. Dude, she would love Craig so much. Yeah, we have our, our, our writer friend, great guy, who's also a professional musician. Mm -hmm. And so he has a very musical outlook on how he writes. Yeah. And it comes down to even like beats of scenes. Kevin Steverson is exactly the same way. Oh, Kevin's a musician? He is a musician. He is a songwriter. Um, and he um, has spent, like he was a tour manager for um, Cypress Spring, the, the band. Really? And so he's oh. spent a lot of time in you know, in musical circles. He has a, a, a kind of a gut deep understanding of music. And I, 
I he's think a really you, nice guy. I didn't know. That, I didn't know that was in his background. Oh yeah, he's a great dude. Great dude. Really good writer too. But when you want to talk about doing it on an instinctive and intuitive level, because if you ask him, "Hey man, how do you write these these great scenes?" He's like, "I just write simple. I just write what I see." And it, it's true. He is writing what he sees in his head. He's also writing what he feels, but he's just not articulating it that way. Yeah. You know. So I, wanna... thing that I, I feel like being on the show is maybe a better writer because I have to articulate and explain to other people all the weird crap that I yeah. do yeah. that I don't usually think about. I became a much better pilot after I became a flight instructor because I had to articulate how to do the things yeah. that I was doing with the aircraft. And I know, it's the I did same the same with thing writing. with torture. It's crazy. <laughs> because like a bad instructor is just like, just do the awesome thing that I'm doing. Yes, yeah. Okay. Well, and okay, so fun fact about me, I was a terrible pilot student. I did not, I, I just really struggled going through pilot training. And, um, and it took me a really, really long time to become a, a good pilot. And to this day, I still consider myself a good pilot, maybe even a very good pilot. But I am a great flight instructor because I know what it took to take the... Uh, no instructor is worth their salt un until they can take the, the abilities and skills and knowledge that they have and transmit it into the brain of their student. And so because I knew what it took to get me to the point where I could fly, that I was able to, um, to, to develop the instruction techniques. Sorry, a little digression. No, 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 this is good. This is leading me down to a question I want to ask now. Um, it, I, I want to talk about, I'm just making up this term now, I guess, uh, emotional commonality. Okay. So the idea that um, when we're writing these scenes, uh, and, and, and I talk about this in horror, sorry, drink. I talk about this in horror a lot. That's the, true. I, the idea, I know, the <laughs> horror, horror, horror. <laughs> They're dead now. Yeah. Please don't drive home, listeners. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah. Hope you're not listening. To this. Don't be going. listening to this like, in your commute. Like, Dang it! I'm driving. What am I supposed to do? You're going to jail. <laughs> uh, I, I was talking about it in a presentation I gave this weekend the idea that because people were talking to me about the emotions, mm -hmm. the emotions of horror, mm -hmm. and how you can instill, for example, fear mm -hmm. in people. And I said, mm -hmm. "Well, I said, look, everybody has fear mm -hmm. and 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 whatnot. So the idea is to prey upon fears." Where there's an, there's a commonality yes. between as many people as you can because yes. it's more base. Uh -huh. So I want to hear your thoughts on 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 this road okay. that we're traveling down. Hopefully okay. not drunk. Yes, um, my thoughts are that you're brilliant and you're absolutely right. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, that was the whole part of this. The show's over. Yes. Now. Yeah. No. Thank you. No further questions. Um, no. The if you want to make your audience fear, you have to plug into the fear that they already exist, mm -hmm. that already exists within them, because you're right, we all have it, right? So if you wanna make them feel that, you have to plug into that. So one of the best ways to do that is to, as you said, find something that is going to bring up that, that instinctive fear on, uh, on a level for as many people as possible. And, um, Bear with me. I, this, this sort of applies, right? But the, the example that comes to my mind is I once saw this video, and it was, a, um, it was just a short video clip that was talking about they had done some analysis of Neanderthal skulls and, you know, and, and skeletons and looking at how, what, what their voices might have sounded like. And so they had a professional voice actor with like a, like a forensic 
I don't know, a forensic analyst of some kind who, who had, had done these calculations and figured out, okay, based on, you know, the volume of the, um, of the, the lung volume of the rib cage and the shape of the sinuses and stuff, they determined that the Neanderthal voice would probably have been extremely loud and very high in pitch. Okay. And so they had this, this, this professional voice actor following these cues. And he, when they finally, you know, produced it, all they had him doing was counting one, two, three, four, but they had him doing it, essentially screaming it in this really high pitched, very nasally tone. And when he did it, I swear to you, like I got the hackles on the back of my neck rose, which is where hackles live. You're welcome. Um, just like immediately stood up and, and I felt goosebumps all over and I wanted out. It was an immediate. Nope. You know, because it, it, it grabbed something instinctive buried deep inside. Whether or not that's because my ancestors had encounters with Neanderthals, I don't know. Maybe it was just an ugly sound. But even that, it was a sound that inspired like a get me the F out of here sensation. So, so plugging into something that, that is going to, that we can all sort of resonate like that with mm -hmm. as a writer is great. That's why those are certain 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 emotional tropes that pop up yeah. that we play with. It's like it's like people get mad at you if you kill the dog. Yes, you feel things if you kill the dog. Yes. I mean, and they still yell at me thirteen years later, right? But there, there's these certain like things that we do, like if you endanger the kid, like they joke about Steven Spielberg movies. It's it's dinosaurs and kids in danger, right? Yes, yeah. There's certain things, but if children are in danger, yes. human beings, you feel a, you you automatically feel that. Yeah. Um, there's certain things in love stories that are the recurring tropes because they make you feel a certain thing. Yes. Well, and and in Casey, you read you read a lot of romance. I do. So, so what is we talked about fear because I have no choice. Yes. So what is the what are the 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 romance analogs to this? Everybody wants to be valued. Okay. Everybody wants to be needed. Everyone wants to be loved by the person that they feel love for. And everybody wants to be desired, right? So if you can, if you can convey that sensation of, I am looking at someone and I desperately want to be close to them and I don't know that they know I exist, that's tension. Mm-hmm. And that's, that makes things twist high up in your belly, right? That, that makes you feel like, oh, snap. Okay, I am not comfortable. Let me see where this goes. Well, and the, the great thing about that um, is that that's genreless. Yeah, it is. Just like fear. Fear is genreless. Yep, yep. So is love. So is desire. Yes, these, are, these are just guiding emotional principles that, that run life. Right. Well, there's a guy writing a lot of action. So is the hate, the anger. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also like we were talking about the like the the, the word use and that's a thing that I kind of do instinctive with a lot of choppy choppy mm -hmm. blunt words. Mm -hmm. But but if I can tap into like that 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 fury of like oh man I'm I'm mad at this dude he's trying to murder me right it, it comes through in that in that scene and if if because if the reader can feel that like fear slash you know desire for payback right or the <laughs> or the or the drive to survive. You yeah. know, I, I eavesdropped on your conversation with Griffin Barber a little bit earlier and he was where he was talking about, he's amazing, by the way, um, really, really great guy to write with. Definitely go read his books because they're they're They will give you those chills, right? He's, he's a very emotional writer. Um, but, um, uh, that, 
that drive to survive, that thing that makes, you know, the thing that makes the guy take a freaking pocket knife and saw off his own arm rather than be trapped and starved to death on a mountain, or the thing that makes a nine-year-old girl who survived a plane crash that killed all of her family and everyone else on the plane walk barefoot out of the Tennessee mountains three days later, that's that is something that is universally applicable. That is the universal commonality of emotion that yeah. is part of humanity. It's visceral. It is visceral. It's yes, visceral. exactly. Yeah. And visceral itself is such a great word. Well, well, actually, that's a good point. You yeah, know, because it is. That's it's a, a word it's, because like it's a synonym that, that, that the synonym that like fits yes, there, and it, and and it, it evokes. Yeah, it literally happens in the viscera, right? It's something you feel in your gut. I noticed that earlier when we were interviewing David Weber and he was talking about character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and he wasn't talking about building characters, but he was talking about characters of character. Mm -hmm. But just the way David delivers that, Everything he says is emotionally loaded, but yes. but David goes a lot on 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 honor and mm-hmm. and dignity and responsibility responsibility, yeah. and, and he's appealing to those emotions, those higher emotions. Yeah. Well, because it's military based, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, but at a more yeah. deeper level, like really good humans, well, and even 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 bad humans also have very different ways in which they interpret those things. Yeah. But again, there's a lot of commonality there. So can I share something with you? Yes. Um, my combat experience is very limited, right? Um, but I'm also uh, married to a combat veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about things. Um, he talks, I'm his wife, so he talks to me about things he doesn't talk to really anybody about. Um, and it's been my observation from talking to my husband, talking to other people, talking to Griff, you know, who, who is a veteran of, of combat of a non-military sort. Um, honor is, is honor and, and discipline and responsibility are very important. They're very motivating. They're maybe the reason that you are there in that situation. Mm-hmm. When someone is trying to kill you, they are not on your mind. You are to you're you are there to survive, and more importantly, you are there to make sure that the guy next to you survives. Mm-hmm. That a, that is what is prime primary in that moment, right? You're there maybe in the situation because of honor, because it's your responsibility, because it's your duty. But when when someone's shooting at you, you don't care. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know? the, it's the primal brotherhood. Well, it's the primal survival instinct. I and mine. Yeah. Will survive. Yeah, I'm bringing my, I'm bringing my, I'm, my buddies. Yeah, my crew comes home. Yeah. 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 Well, and then from an emotional standpoint, there's the, there's the emotional aftermath and fallout from said experience. Yeah, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms. Right. You guys got another hour? It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole, whole big bundle of issues we got yeah, right? out in the yeah. table tonight, no, guys. I, I mean, the, the whole point of all this is, whole point of this is there is so much ground um, emotionally speaking, to to make your characters feel real. Yeah, uh, we, we've all we've all read the stories. Yeah, and frankly, in in early days, hopefully only in our early days, we we've written those stories where where the character is just a thing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and and it's the it's the moments in which we start imparting. Uh, em- emotional resonance with these characters that, that perhaps we feel ourselves. Yeah, or that- and complexity. Yes. The things that we feel don't always have to make sense together, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, I, I, I have two children. I'm a mom. I, I like 
to think that I am a good person. I try to do the right thing. I like to think that I would be, you know, charitable to to other people. I have no intention of ever taking anyone's life unless you come for my kid. And then I will burn everything down to protect my child. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of contradiction going on there. That's a lot of emotional commonality. Anybody who's a parent. No, absolutely. And And everybody understands it, but... It's not pretty to look at. It's not something to, in, you, you know. You know, it's interesting on that. So when he did Monster Hunter Guardian, that was like my, you know, the mom book. Yeah, yeah. Because we had a kid in danger, mm-hmm. right? We had a baby in danger. Yep. And it's intense. And I teamed up with Sarah Hoyt on that. And Sarah very much hit that mama, like, I'm getting my kid back no matter what. And I actually had some negative reviews from people who didn't have children. Yeah. Who I never got any from anybody who had kids, but I had a handful of reviews from people who were like, I just didn't like how she kept, like, was so fixated on that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Have you, you ever met a mom? I was like, you don't have kids, do you? Yeah. No. Well, there you go. Every well, single person as a parent was, was like, damn right, I'll burn the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I hope, I, please don't, please don't send me death threats. But the truth is that in my mind, in my world, my kids outweigh everyone else's kids. Well, yeah. As they should, right? You know, if if you have to make a choice, Larry, between saving your kids and saving my kids, you're going to save your kids. Well, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, you know, I, ideally, yes, of course, we're, we're all going to save all each other's kids. <laughs> <laughs> your kids are hyper competent. They're probably going to save themselves. Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm just ta- I'm just tossing Joe a gun and saying, <laughs> do what you got to do, man. He, and he's Go fine. Ahead, that kid will be yeah. fine. Yeah, but, no. but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, Correct. And, and, it's, and it's, it's both complexity but it's universal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's and it's and it's one of those things that's the extreme of the human emotional experience. Do you guys know who Dan Carlin is? He's a podcaster. He's my favorite podcaster, no offense. You guys are like number 2. Um, <laughs> but his, his Hey, you beat Joe Rogan. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you did. You did. Um, Joe Rogan's great. But um, Dan Carlin's podcast is it's like it's it's probably yeah, hardcore history, right? Hardcore history. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's famous and it's phenomenal and he always goes back to this idea of this the extremes of human experience he's interested in the extremes of human experience um that's where you sir if you have not need to listen to um i'm pointing at steve you guys can't see that i'm sorry i'm i'm just getting really into this conversation um the you need to listen to um his blueprint for armageddon oh right yeah Yeah, yeah, we we talked about it on my channel yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. um because it is it's it's all about the western front in world war one and it is phenomenally good and he is a very talented um he's he's a reporter right so he's a very talented writer he writes all his own stuff but he's also a very talented performer in the way that he tells these stories verbally vocally on his podcast because he really he he evokes that super immersive environment and really kind of pulls you in just the way I want to do with my writing delivers the gut punch of what it feels like to watch your buddy slowly drowning in the mud at Eber and, and you can't go get him because you'll drown too. Mm -hmm. And you just have to walk by as he's screaming as the mud fills in his mouth, you Mm -hmm. know, and he sinks underneath like, Mm -hmm. like how, you know, I totally lost my train of thought because I, you know, I'm so, I'm so geeked out about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you can see, you can see how Mm -hmm. it works. Um, and so plugging into that kind of that kind of experience that we can all say is yes that is something that is affecting mm-hmm. that if you can do that in your writing that is how you punch your readers in the gut and yeah. that is how you make them cry yeah it's like our job is to emotionally manipulate others 
Oh well, it God. sounds bad when you say it that way. <laughs> well, we, we, we make crap up and emotionally manipulate others. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And, and especially, I, I find it in short fiction, I mean, that's the goal, right? That's yeah. a tool, right? So in, in, uh, in my Hellhounds collection, there's this little piece of flash fiction in there. It's like 1,500 words. Yeah. And it's about a, a, a mom who just had a kid who is like more exhausted than exhausted. And she's uh, compulsively checking the baby monitor. And things start getting really, really effed up and weird. And she's really tired. And the whole point of this story is to emotionally manipulate you. Yeah. Because there's so much... There's, any parent who's, who's ever parented understands the base raw emotions that are within there. Yeah. And the whole point is to tap into that and go, oh boy. Here you go. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. You're not ready. You know, yeah. honestly, guys, this is one reason I think a lot of us, we, we become better writers as we get older. Just because, yeah. the, honestly, it's, it's hard for a lot of young writers because you just haven't had all those, you haven't had the complete uh, uh, buffet of life experiences. Sometimes, but, you know, like your 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 third co-host, Christopher Rocchio. Oh, yeah. Then that there's dude's freaks like of nature, like, yeah, totally. yeah. Okay, Christopher's just like. He's a freak of nature. He's an overachiever. Yeah, no, but but his, but his that's one of the reasons his fiction is so good yeah. is because he does. You know, even even with the, the life experience of a mid-20s, whatever he was. When well, he, he, he makes me feel, I've, I've read his stuff, I felt grief. Yeah, I felt anger. Yeah, I, I felt hope. Yes, uh, he 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 can evoke all those things. Yes. Resignation. Yeah, no, he's, it's great. He's also a grandmaster of the whole thing with the talk about the the the, the correct word use. Yes, he yes. is. Uh, he, yeah, he's a master it ain't of that. Even fair with him. Yes, um, it's not very often you get a bunch of writers like at our level, and we're all like jealous of one dude. <laughs> and we're like, dude. Yeah, no, he's 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 phenomenal. He's great, and. Uh, um, what is the other emotion? Jealousy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's fine. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think my hair is prettier. Oh, easily. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, don't get me wrong. Chris has a pretty good head of hair. He does. He does. But, but mine's blue. Uh, but so. yours is much better. Well, I'm taller. Um, there you yeah, go. there you go. There yeah, you go. I'm, yeah. I'm not the best writer, but I'm the tallest. Then Dave him. Butler came You do have a better beard because I don't think he has one. That's exactly the point. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm I'm already the goatee close to I'm already have the sinister goatee close to Darkest Timeline, Steve. I don't have to travel not very far. <laughs> um, all right, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for you uh, for for the listeners today, because otherwise we'll just keep talking and talking and talking. You know, the joke is that our thirty minute ep- our thirty minute episodes are actually you know 40, 45 minutes. Not that anyone really cares that much. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but no, this uh, this episode was so much fun, Casey. Thank, thank you, you so s- much. No, thank you so much for, for taking the time uh, to come over and, and chat with us and stuff. And whew, I don't know. I'm, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I've got this weird, like, I'm kind of drained, but I'm... I'm pretty stoked about the whole conversation. Yeah, I, really I just, so behind the scenes, Casey, your last interview here at LibertyCon. Mm-hmm. Uh, chronologically, I don't know when this will be airing, but uh, so we've, we've interviewed eight people. Yeah. Wow, you guys are machines. Yeah, and so We're very tired. So, so you, but thank you. We saved, we saved the best for last. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, everybody else can take great offense at that. <laughs> take that, suckers. All right. Well, with that, this is the Writer Dojo, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. 
New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Thank you enough for the questions.